0: For many of us, the changes and unusual events of 2020 and 2021 have forced us to reprioritize our schedule and reexamine our lives. A lot of us have even found ways to make time for what we truly love instead of the overrated hustle. Join us on this episode of For Better Self and Net Worth as I have had the absolute pleasure of speaking with Tootie Tagerly. She is an executive leadership coach and Amazon bestseller of her book, Make Space to Lead. You are tuning in to... For better self and net worth podcast. This is a podcast where I encourage you to live the life of your dreams by adopting the right mindset, navigating through tough challenges and respecting your bank account. I interview entrepreneurs and empire builders from across the globe as they share how they have come to live the lives of their dreams and the challenges they had to break through. I also have a few solo episodes where I talk about the lessons learned and navigating in a world full of naysayers, negative mindsets, and money grabbers. I personally believe that attitude is everything. And with the right attitude, you can get the life that you dream of. I'm so glad you're on this journey with me. If you're listening, make sure you have hit the subscribe button and on Apple, give me some love by leaving a review. Most of all, I hope every episode you hear on here leaves you inspired and on fire to live your best life without breaking the bank. Welcome back to For Better Self and Net Worth. I am so excited you guys have joined us once again. Today, I have 2D Tagerly. 2D Tagerly is an executive leadership coach and Amazon bestseller. She has the book called Make Space to Lead, and that is all about creating space in your life to live your best life going against the standards that hustle culture has taught us, that we have to work extremely hard, that we always have to use our hustle and our constant busyness as a trophy, and instead making space to make yourself a better leader. And Tootie's going to talk about that and her job as an executive leadership coach. So Tootie, if you don't mind, go ahead, introduce yourself, let us know who you are and your background, what led up to you being an Amazon bestseller and executive leadership coach.
1: Thanks, Ella. I'm really excited to be on the show and to share some of the, some of my stories and connections with with you and your your listeners. So, oh, let me try and do this as briefly as possible. But um, it's interesting no, to hear brief. you talk about. Oh, all right, uh, yeah. It's interesting to hear you talk about hustle culture. Just hearing that as part of the intro, because I mean, I I'm a I'm Thai Chinese, and I had an Asian tiger mom who really wanted me to succeed and do well in school. And I was a good little girl. I listened and I loved connecting all those gold stars and those trophies. And I did that all through my childhood. I was, you know, editor of the school newspaper, valedictorian, applied to all the Ivy leagues, went to Stanford, and I spent 22 years climbing the corporate ladder. It seemed like there was that next job. There was that next promotion. And I was lucky enough to have what many people think of as different dream jobs. And there was a period of time where I was a design consultant and a brand strategist helping dreaming up futures for the world's top brands. Like what's the future of autonomous vehicles? What's the future of a connected home? What is life going to be for consumers in, you know, three, five, 10 years? And I was also lucky enough to work for startups and some of the world's top technology companies, including Facebook. However, um, I left that life after 22 years because a series of three events really kind of hit me, three crises, like probably the worst year of my life and helped me really reevaluate, do I want to continue to be part of this go, go, go workaholic culture all the time at the expense of, of everything else? And that's when I made that's when I made a transition and left the corporate world and did a bunch of training to become a a certified coach. And now I help people. And a lot of this uh, a lot of the support that I give is to busy tech executives, startup founders, and CEOs. And I use a lot of the design process to help them be more creative, to help them be successful and driven, but do it with a little bit of balance. For what it would be, what would it look like? If your lives had moved a tiny, just a tiny bit slower, for a little more space for reflection and thinking and intentionality, and and creativity, how would that really transform our lives and our businesses? So that's as quick as I can make it, but I was really wanted to talk about that hustle culture when you started mentioning it.
0: Yes, it's funny how growing up, we're always talked about for our grades. Mm-hmm. And then I remember college being the best years of my life, yet a lot of people older than me were stressing me out there. Like, what are you going to do after college? Or are you getting married? Do you have anybody that you're seeing? Like, you know, what's the next step? You've got to be an adult right after this. And there was so much pressure to have some kind of an achievement, to have some sort of a status, to be at a certain place at a certain time in your life. We're in comparison culture. And I think a lot of times we use that busy schedule as almost like as a, as a, as a badge, as a, as a label, kind of like we have, you know, we drive a certain car for status. We have a certain schedule making us look busy, just makes it look so glamorous when really Mm -hmm. you can get a lot done when you're in a better mental state.
1: Mm -hmm. So can I tell you a secret, Ella? Yeah. When, when I turned 40, I was speaking to, to a coach that I was working with. I was working with a leadership coach when I was at Facebook And I told her that I had the perfect life because I was married to my college sweetheart. We had two beautiful girls, two healthy, beautiful girls. We owned a house in San Francisco and I was working really a dream job at, you know, Facebook pre Cambridge Analytica and all the scandals. And it just felt like everything was, was amazing living in San Francisco. And I even felt as I was saying that to her, that it was hollow, that there was something missing, but I didn't really quite know what it was. And so it's really interesting when you talk about like all these goals and these dreams, like there was a point where I'm like, I think, I think I have them all on the personal and the career and the family, but, but something was missing. It was hollow. It was shallow. It just wasn't, it didn't have the depth of, of thinking and understanding and self-reflection because I was working. 60, 80 hours a week and just constantly running, running, running and going the entire time.
0: And did you feel like you didn't have time to think about what it was that may have been missing?
1: Yeah. I mean, young kids, really busy job, two working professionals, traveling all the time, And even my vacations, because we had some lovely vacations, those were planned out all the time. It's like, sometimes I would feel like I would need a vacation for my vacation because we were doing so much, cramming all of it in.
0: Yeah. I always, when I take a vacation, I always have a day where I'm just at home to unpack, recoup, or even do absolutely nothing so I can give my best Mm Back into the I started job.
1: doing that now because those transitions are so hard. The transition back, I think, especially is so hard.
0: Yeah. Different times. Yeah.
1: Of- exactly. Exactly.
0: Impact. Yeah. And I love that you highlighted that you say you have a perfect life because I think there's a lot of pressure in circles of women to make things look like they're perfect on the outside. Talk about your corporate job. When you're getting promoted, how much you're making. And then, you know, on the side, you've got the perfect husband, the perfect family, the kids. It's almost like we're uncomfortable. And maybe we are uncomfortable talking about the tough times. Yeah. We don't want to bring down the conversation or what the struggle yeah. is.
1: No, for sure. And, I mean, I think that's why I want to share a little bit of that hellish year that I had because it was, you know, less than, less than six months after I remember having that conversation with my coach was the start of the worst year of my life. You know, three things really happened that I'd say changed the trajectory of, of where I was going, really transformed my life. And it seemed hellish at the time, but uh, my my father-in-law passed and I had known him since I was 18 college sweetheart and all. And so he was my American father. He felt like my father without all the angst of growing up with, with parents. I, and, and then some months after that, um, my kid's dad and I got divorced. Or he We separated. California has a long divorce process, but our marriage essentially broke down um, and my kids were in elementary school. And then the tail end of that year, my father passed. So it was three big things and I'm I'm thankful for them now, even though it was a hellish year, because I think that all too often we get stuck in these grooves and these patterns and we want to bounce back to you want. We want life to be exactly the same and just keep going how we planned it. And I think for me, just getting slapped and smashed and slapped, um, uh, metaphorically of course by by all these events was really i had to deal with them i had to face them i had to face the grief i had to face the the failure you know my uh, my parents still say well you know my mom um bless her heart very very asian tiger mom was like why would people come to you as a coach when you're divorced doesn't that mean that you failed and i'm like oh mom no but thank you. Uh, just, I feel that all of these events and things that these crises and catastrophes that shake you out of your patterns—they're the change. Like, like the change when you when you shake up a a snow globe and you see the crystals and the glitter around, and and when it settles after this hard hard period, it provides I think the space the space for introspection, thinking, reflection, dealing with mountains of emotions and helps you figure out, well, what's next.
0: What's next? And grief is a funny thing and you sounds like you were grieving three different people. Yeah. One year because we all grieve differently. Absolutely. And it some people it takes a lot longer than others. When I grieve, it takes me a lot longer than I feel like it takes other people. And with that grief and going through that, and then having other expectations on top of you can just be overwhelming in itself and just make you feel defeated. But going back to what your mother said about being divorced, that doesn't make you a failure going through that, I think would make you stronger and, you know, failed relationships kind of are detours to point to what you really want out of life, whether that's to remain single or, what you want in the next relationship.
1: No, absolutely. I think that one of my teachers, uh Shrizad Shameen, talks a lot about events, circumstances, things, things happen, right? It's a busy world, it's a chaotic world. And as we've all seen from these last I don't know how many months it's been, you know, almost two years of the pandemic, it's helped us, it's helped really shine a bright light to what an illusion control and planning was kind of its back to that busyness of that schedule. If I have those in little 30 minute chunks, I can control my life. And I think the pandemic really shed a light for so many of us that, Hey, no, you know, this is a, this is a bit of an illusion. And what my teacher Shazad Shameen, talks about is that events and things happen. There is no necessarily judgment on them as something is bad. Something is good, even though, One, especially of uh, a different generation, may say divorce is bad, Um, but his perspective is really, hey, these things happen and we can't control them, but what we can do is shift our mindset. We can see what we want to learn from them. We can be curious. We can ask, well, okay, this thing happened. And yes, it's unbelievably shitty. There are moments where you are curled up in a corner of the kitchen floor sobbing, and there's always the next day. There's always the next step. There's always, all right, you're gonna kind of get up and, and continue and continue on the path. And doing that with this mindset of openness and curiosity and learning, I think that's what makes that's what makes the difference and helps you look on each of these circumstances as well. What's the gift in that? What is the what is the gift either of of knowledge or learning or something? What's the gift in that 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 can help you move forward?
0: Yeah. And thank you for sharing that, the vulnerability in that. Did you at any point see any of these changes coming, losing your father-in-law, your father, or your husband? Did you at point see those coming or were any of them just a smack a surprise for you?
1: I mean, to be honest, my father was pretty old and my, my father-in-law was dealing with a long-term um rare, rare form of of cancer called mesothelioma. So he had been fighting it for years. And my father um, also had had health problems, including a stroke a couple of years earlier. And there's a part of it where not that you ever expect it, but there is a natural order of things where parents age and parents, parents. So in terms of expectations there definitely was a sense especially when my when both my father and father-in-law had different health crises where i feel blessed to have been able to spend a lot of time with them cuz my father lives in thailand and that the 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 two years prior i'd spent more time there than i had before so there is a bit of a natural comfort in all right there is sickness there is illness there is health deterioration and you know, maybe a little bit more preparation for those. Um, my marriage was was unexpected, even though in retrospect, um, you know, he he and I went to couples therapy, intense couples ter- therapy for about six months. In retrospect, it was some of the signs were were pretty clear, even though neither of us had realized it um, how far that we had drifted apart. And that to me was uh, was one of the biggest surprises, and definitely was for our our, our circle of friends and family as well um because we never really fought and i think you hear that from a lot of people so that to me was the biggest surprise
0: yeah so never fighting that's interesting cuz i feel like every relationship you have there's going to be some tension at some point
1: um i just think we didn't there was a lot more avoiding yeah on both on both the sides and i think with the avoidance there is a drifting apart and a maybe a, a lessening of engagement
0: yeah so I, I can see that as something, you know, your partner being your, your cornerstone in somebody that you lean on quite a bit and that ending just being so traumatic.
1: It was uh that was, um, I think that one felt the, the hardest to oh. grieve.
0: Yeah. And grieve is just basically you have all this love and you don't know where to give it.
1: Yeah. 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 I think also there isn't a, you know, with, with death, there's a finality and there's a moving on. I think with divorce, especially with, um, with children, I mean, we're, we're going to be in each other's lives for the rest of our lives as co-parents. So there is grief for a relation, a romantic relationship, but there's also a transition into a different type of relationship because necessary and absolutely needed for the kids and for co-parenting. So it just makes it more complicated. And transitions are always complicated.
0: Yeah. Now tell me how old your children are again.
1: Um, my daughters are 13 and almost 11.
0: 13. Okay. So those are great ages. Super
1: fun. 13, oh. 13 year old girl, definitely tough emerging from, you know, she's in, she's in eighth grade after, after a couple of pandemic years of school, but doing well with it.
0: Yes handling a lot. And I can't imagine what it's like for children to grow up during this pandemic because there was always some normalcy for us where we were in school from fall to summer. Mm-hmm. on and not we had a consistent schedule. There was social interaction. You learned how to navigate challenges and you learned how to communicate.
1: Yeah. One of the things that I spent a lot of time thinking about like through that year and one of the things that I write about in my book is how as adults and the values that I was passing on to my children was all the doing, you know, that fierce from my tiger mom, that fierce, like you need to get good grades. You got to do these sports. You got to do these activities. And there, there was a time when I really parented, like I worked filling up the schedule, making sure that they could play different instruments and do the mommy and me swimming and do all of that. And I think it's the same, it's that same cult of achievement and hustle culture that we were talking about. Just that need to do, 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 do the entire time. And what I saw as a blessing, a gift, if we go back to my teacher's uh, words again, is that especially in the first six to nine months of the pandemic, we were bored and when you're bored that's when you be i think that's when creativity flourishes and we spent so much time i don't know baking bread doing puzzles just spending the time being together and slowing down and taking the space because hey you couldn't go out you were sheltered in place and i that feels you know, that feels like over a year or so ago now. And we've since adjusted and transitioned to that. But I think it's been really beautiful being able to show them and experience with them because it's not even me showing. Sometimes they're showing me that in that, like if you imagine a balance beam of being versus doing, I was a 100% optimized, like a 100% lean towards doing. Go, 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 fill your schedule, do your stuff. And so were they, because I was their parent, I was their mom, and I was scheduling them. And so it was really refreshing to actually have the space for family and being and have the space to be beautifully bored together.
0: Yes. And I love how the pandemic, I mean, I'm sad about the circumstances, but I love how it forced us to really examine what we're passionate about. I remember, you know, I've been chasing the dollar since my mid-20s. And, you know, I still have my job, my corporate job through the pandemic, thankfully, but mm-hmm. I always had a yearning to do something other than chasing the dollar
1: mm-hmm.
0: and achieving a corporate life. I knew I was meant for something more and I did volunteering I volunteered at my church on and off and it was fun, but it was just taking my energy more than it was really energizing me. I was just kind of dreading it for a while. And then I had, you know, a second job and that was a passion. I got to teach dance with others. And while I loved it, I still wanted something ownership over something. So I did a lot of my writing and journaling. And after writing in my car, lot, I said, I've always wanted to start a podcast, but what am I going to talk about? And I realized in 2020, it was like, instead of just over planning, what's going to happen, just go ahead and do it. Go ahead and get that message in and aside from that in the pandemic it allowed me to read reread books that I wanted to reread I finally got to finish Game of Thrones
1: uh-huh
0: I mean no I don't know it's a tv show but it was a tv show that I enjoyed it kind of just my outlet because Sundays that was kind of my Sundays I was volunteering and then I was planning for my work week mm-hmm. and it mm-hmm. was constantly go 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 or you know even just showing up For people, and you know, before twenty twenty, you know, being there for people, you know, they need to they need a friend, they need to grab lunch or something like that. It's nice to be able to do that and to be just to make an appearance. And I always had this FOMO fear of missing out Mm -hmm. that I had to be in certain places. I didn't want to be left out, so I would always just extend myself socially. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: And I realized I didn't make time for myself. And what really captivated me about your work is your book "Make Space to Lead." The title of it just alone was something that I said, I need to see that. I need to be able to make space for myself to be able to do the things that I'm passionate about and be able to pour more into myself.
1: Mm -hmm. I think the key of what you're really talking about, Ella, is the energy. Yeah. Because there are periods in your life, I imagine, and in my life where it is completely okay when succeeding in that corporate job is the one thing you care about the most. And that can be the path for many people, perhaps in their 20s, or that's what I've seen. Or other different times I coach some people in their 50s when their kids are going to college and like, all right, this is where I want to devote myself back to my career. And that's wonderful. But the thing that you're talking about that I think is really interesting, and this is what I tell a lot of my clients, is to follow the energy. Because if you've been doing this and been stuck in this pattern for a while, I don't know what a while is, it could be months, it could be years, it could be even decades for some people, it was for me, I'm a slow learner, you know, but when the energy isn't there anymore, and when you feel like it's been pervasive for a while, that's, that's often a sign you've been stuck, you've been stuck in this pattern, I think of so many people as essentially corporate zombies. And that's probably unfair to corporates. I won't ding that, but just zombies living on autopilot, just going and doing the things that are on your schedule because you've been used to doing that. And for some people, I knew a ton of people who worked corporate lives, who knew exactly what that job was to them. It was a paycheck. They worked, they did a great job. They worked 40 hours a week and they were a musician on the side or they wanted to start their own um cooking pop-up the job was a job yeah they had they knew exactly what they wanted and they knew what to give to their work of course course they were great at their jobs but they knew that their energy was really coming from these creative pursuits on the side maybe like this podcast for you and what I tell people to look at is the energy if there's something just missing you know where can you find the energy in your current job is it from people is it from doing certain projects Like follow the energy, like look back in your past week or your past day and be like, what gave you the most energy at work? You can start there and then try to do more of those, spend more time with those people. If there's certain types of projects that really give you energy, do more of that. And that's one starting point because it's one step at a time. And where you can start to expand then is similar to what you were doing is, you know, when you're volunteering, what type of energy does it give you? When you're teaching dance, what type of energy does it give you? And there are tons of little experiments. Try this for, you know, a couple of months. Oh gosh, this is draining. All right, I'm going to stop that. Let's try something else because I, I view, and this is probably some of my design background, looking at this as a design process as you're just doing lots of different experiments to follow the energy, to find what energizes you, what gives you passion for this portion of your life. It'll change, but that's the little experimentation searching process for right now.
0: Yes. And and it's exactly what you said. It was what was energizing me and what was taking energy from me and saying no to other things was more like saying yes to myself,
1: Mm -hmm.
0: saying yes to more time, more time to devote into my writing and my podcasting. And this, this is what energizes me. This is what I have ownership over even when people ask me a lot of times what I do, my corporate job can be a lot to explain. It can be a lot to understand, a lot of questions around it. I don't mind talking about it, but sometimes I'll lead with podcasts to say, Hey, I did this podcast where mm-hmm. I interview a lot of entrepreneurs who are ditching societal standards of where they should be in life and following their passion. I'll talk about how I also do some coaching on the podcast, talk about lessons that I've learned and just what energizes me about it, what I like to hear from my listeners, engaging with people that listen to the podcast, what they want to hear and just learning from other people, the guests I have on the show and a lot of the lessons. And it's just, it's been overall amazing. So when you talk about following the energy, the common question is how's your job or what do you do for a living? That is when you first meet people, that's the one question that comes up. And You can kind of tell if somebody really likes their job or not based on how they go about talking about it, Mm -hmm. how they explain it.
1: Totally. And a lot of times, whether or not they even like their job, I think that we fall into these patterns. We're used to saying, oh, you know, I have this title. I work at this company. This is my identity because that's been the practiced answer, the practiced elevator pitch. And we just fall into these unconscious patterns because they help us get through our days. Yeah. Don't get me wrong. You know, it's the same thing as knowing that route when we used to drive to work, just that pattern, driving to work, driving to the grocery store, driving to the gym, all of these places, you could do it in your sleep. And these patterns are what help us get through the days until they're no longer serving us because we're stuck in them.
0: Yeah. I usually try to stay away when I'm meeting people is I have this practice where I don't do the, the, what do you do? Because yeah, we're given elevator pitches to Mm -hmm. some of the common questions. Are you dating anybody? That's a common question I get. I just, have these elevator pitches that I have to make, but instead, Hey, what television show are you streaming right now? Uh Something, um, what, 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 what are you doing for your workout routine? What do you love Mm -hmm. about it? Just anything random. I know with clients at work, instead of going straight into talking business, I'll ask them how their children's doing, Even if I don't, which I do pretty well at memorizing names, but if I don't remember their name, at least I'll remember something about them, their mm-hmm. favorite baseball team, their favorite pastime, what part of town they live in, mm-hmm. those little things and ways of making connections to people and getting them to talk about what they're passionate about.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: What if you them. think,
1: yeah, if you think about um, that, that cycle or that balance beam of being versus doing that I was talking about, what you're doing is you're making these space to slow down and make connections, build the relationship, build the trust, to spend that extra minutes of humanity. Yes. And so often when we get stuck in the hustle culture, it's like, oh, I got 30 minutes with you. Let's get run down through this task. I need this from you and this from you. And how are we going to get this project together? And what's the schedule and what's the plan? And we lose those little moments of connection and and relationship.
0: Yes. I had a coworker say once, and I totally agree with him. He said, people don't care what you know until they know that you care.
1: Yeah, for sure. I love that. It's. I think I work with a lot of people who are looking to, who who in their corporate jobs are looking to make it to the next level, whatever that means to them. And it's cheap. And so many times when I coach them and I talk about them and talk about what they want and what they're doing, it's not about um, transactional currency. It's not about, how many spreadsheets you're putting out, not entirely about your sales numbers, not entirely about the performance that you do, but it's much more about the, the relationship currency. It's, is there trust between you and your boss? Is there trust between you and your coworkers? If you have a team, do they trust you? Do they know that you have their back? And that completely goes back to the quote your, your coworker was talking about. It's at that base human level, knowing that they care about you, knowing that they care enough to remember, to try and remember the names of, of, of your kids or something about your life. And that's the, the relationship and relationship currency and trust that I think leaders really know this is how to get things done. And it's not for the sake of getting things done, it's for the sake of emotional connections with people, because that's what we remember.
0: Yes, that's what you, and you remember how people make you feel more than mm-hmm. what they said, what they do.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Always remember how they make you feel, and that's where it's important.
1: Yep. Yeah. And that's, that's the being. And that's the part that I mean, I've been guilty of skipping right over through that because I'm so impatient and I want to check that item off my to do list. But, uh, but it really is taking the space to slow down and, and also knowing what's most appropriate. You know, I do want to really say that, that slowing down is not always the speed to be in, but it is if you've been stuck on this pattern of hustle culture, because it's a little bit of a break from it. And when you break these patterns, that's the place to examine what you might really care about.
0: Yes. And even some days if I'm, I like to have my weekends to relax and to recharge my batteries. If I didn't do anything that day, if I don't leave my house, there's some sneaking guilt into it. It's like you're lazy, Hmm. but really taking that time to myself is a way I invest into myself, invest my energy
1: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. is the
0: way that I'm learning to see it. Now I'm curious, are you a three on the Enneagram?
1: I'm not. uh, I used to be when I was early in my career, I flip-flop between whenever I take it, I flip-flop between a seven and an eight. So the enthusiast because I love so many different things and, you know, just the change and the, you know, ways of doing things. And then the eight, which is the challenger. I can be a rebel and a skeptic. And every time I take it, it almost flips, um, whether I'm primary one and wing the other. Uh, But it's really interesting because I think that through these years and through these processing, I've moved away from that necessity to be the achiever, all the time and what feels a lot more core right now is this this restless or like looking at the next shiny cool new object and you know some of that rebel challenger still what are you on the Enneagram
0: I'm a three with a wing of four Mm. and four because I value individuality I'm actually working on a piece right now where I'm talking about basically how being yourself is the best way to be Mm -hmm. it's something we get caught up in as a culture as a society we kind of have a mask or even seen a certain way. Like maybe people have a limited perception of us, or maybe we're not given all of ourselves into our relationships with others. So I'm working on a piece about, basically talks about being yourself and how there's Mm -hmm. a lot of power in that. So for on the individual side, three, I mean, three, that's what we talked about growing up in East Tennessee and my family is achievement. What are you majoring in? What are you studying? And is that impressive to people or not? I had two majors and two minors. Oh man. And it still wasn't, it does wasn't impressive because I wasn't pre-med and mm. I was thinking about law school, but I just decided that's not what I wanted to do. Yeah. But yeah. now it's like, I'm chasing the job title, working mm-hmm. for this fortune 500 company. It was, I think I was caught up in this trap of just impressing people with what I did and what I had that almost forgot who I was. So I'm, mm-hmm. I'm, Last I tracked. last I took the Enneagram, I'm still a three. And I'm wondering if I had, I have developed into to another number on the Enneagram.
1: I mean, the drive is amazing. The drive yeah. has gotten you to the success that that you have, there's nothing wrong with getting and craving that external validation. We're human. That's why we care what other people think about us because we're, I love what you brought up about earlier about that voice in your head for that Sunday afternoon because you're lazy. It's so hard for us to see ourselves positively. I think we all have these self-critical voices, these self-sabotaging voices Mm -hmm. coming in and saying, well, you know, why didn't you do that? Couldn't you have worked a little harder? Couldn't you have gotten off your ass and stopped watching TV and gotten, done something productive? And I think the reality is they exist for all of us. And what I work with myself and many of my clients are is contextualizing, knowing that, hey, these are the places They're going to be there. They might have come from something in your childhood. They might have come from something else. It's okay. Just know that these are all there is there's a whole dinner party of people sitting down at the table and there's the self-critical voice and one of mine is the achievement monster there's the voracious monster yes. that says do more but also notice that in this dinner table your best friend sitting there you know your biggest champion your mentor and what are they saying you know what is like a leader that you admire you know for me A lot of times it's, you know, Amanda Gorman or other people think about Michelle Obama or maybe Nelson Mandela. And just be like, what would these voices say to you if they were sitting at this dinner table? And what I love about this, and this is similar to a lot of the tools that I use in design thinking, is it really opens up and widens the perspective that there is a whole bevy of voices at the dinner table. And you've got to open up and hear all of them. And then it's on you to choose which one do you want to listen to right now? You can choose which one. And then if you choose, there's no right or wrong. You might choose to the, your really lazy voice and it's okay, kind of go with that and then open up to the next voices and be like, what what choices do you want to make next?
0: I really love that dinner table analogy. When I went on a retreat in October, my favorite blogger, Kelsey Aida, she led the retreat and there's a part in the retreat where we had to interview different parts of ourselves. Yeah, and so the person didn't like, and then we would partner up with somebody, and they would interview those parts to say, What do you okay? Mine was the anxiety. What do you do for Ella? So mm-hmm. if she was asking my anxiety, I had to channel my anxiety, anxious part, mm-hmm. and I had to say what the anxious part did for me. And my anxious part was just keeping me aware. It was a self-awareness yeah. thing. And a lot of times anxiety could come out as being protective. Mm-hmm. But really, it's kind of like the overprotective parent that's holding the child back. That's what Absolutely. anxiety did for me. And it was just really neat to discover that about myself because I've never looked at the parts of myself that are not as glamorous or not necessarily my favorite parts about myself, but interviewing those least favorite parts of myself and knowing that even though it doesn't sound positive, it is actually doing something for me and it's there for a reason.
1: Yeah, no, that's beautiful. Thanks for sharing that story. That sounds like you got to some wonderful insight. And I love the fact that you made the space to go to a t- retreat to do this for, yeah. for yourself. Because I, you know, we've talked about this a couple of times, but I think that we can get so caught up in wanting to make other people happy, wanting to please them, wanting to serve them, wanting to support them. And it can feel so selfish to take time for for yourself, whether it's to exercise, to write in your journal, to go on a couple of day or week long retreat. But that's the stuff, that's the, I don't even think it's easy. It's the hardest work. And making space to do that, I think helps you emerge as a different, more authentic person in a nod to your, your four um your four wing and i think that makes you a better leader a better friend a better daughter a better mom cuz if you have that knowing that inner leader that confidence then you can help others and support them even better
0: that's a really good point being able to know yourself and that self awareness is going to help you put a better self out into the world absolutely yeah i love that well, tell us about your book. Tell us about Make Space to Lead, what inspired the book and where we can find the book. Yeah. Um, so
1: you can go to makespacetolead.com. That will tell you lots about the book and it's on sale on Amazon. But um, interestingly enough, when I left my corporate job and I was exploring coaching and getting certified because, you know, I'd had years and years of design training and part of me kind of the same like Enneagram 3 was like, oh, I got to get my training. I got to know how to do this. I got to understand the craft of it. That good little girl was still there. Um, And what I did is I started blogging every week. Every week without fail, I would just write about what I was learning, what I found interesting. Um, I think the first blog was called, you know, how I left the corporate world and jumped into the unknown. And after about a year of this and publishing it, I learned that people were coming to me because because of my writing. You know I, I write a lot, and we haven't talked about it this year about um just intense, difficult people because I can be really intense, that uh, that Enneagram eight Challenger. And I would write about what I experienced, what my clients experience, their 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 challenges, their problems, and how how we would use different design tools and techniques and frameworks to solve them. And after about a year and a half, I realized that I wanted to pull all of these learnings and lessons and the way that I worked with clients into a book Um, and started, I I very, very foolishly, very, very foolishly thought that, oh my gosh, I've got, you know, 250 blog posts written. I probably have 90% of the book there. And that was so not true because I worked with a book coach to develop it further, to go deeper, to refine my writing, to be more long form rather than kind of shorter pieces for um, for quick browsing. And what I absolutely love about the book is that it's, I think, unapologetically me. One of the best pieces of feedback and praise that I got was from one of my clients who read the book and he said, Wow, I can feel I can feel you sitting there coaching me through the book and the pages and the words as if we were in a one-on-one session and that felt so gratifying to me because that's what I wanted to do. I wanted to share the lessons. I wanted to talk about hustle culture and I wanted what I love the best about the book is that there's experiments in there. There's practices and inquiries and experiments, you know, similar to what I t- told you about following the energy, ways to Go deeper inside and put this into practice because not everything that I talk about is going to work for you, but you're not going to know until you start trying them. So I love that the book is practical as well as I think super inspiring because I talk about a lot of my clients in it.
0: Yes. And in coaching, it's one of those things you have to be open to it.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So- the other thing that I love, and I could gush about this forever, is that I love working with one-on-one clients. But as with coaching, you've got to be ready for when you're willing to make that change. And that might not be when you first see the pattern. That might be years later or months later when you're like, okay, now the pain is big enough that I want to make a difference. Or now the dream is big enough that I want to try something something differently. And one of the things I love about having the book is that it's a quick and easy way for someone to maybe pick that up, learn a little bit more about design, learn, learn about surfing. Cause I'm a surfer and just learn
0: about some of these tools that, that I surf. use. Yeah. I don't um, know. Like that, that's incredible. Yes. Yeah. And going back to that is just being open to that change. I remember having some anxiety about working with a coach. Cause I was like, I don't necessarily, I've done the therapy thing before and I'm not good. I'm not really good at talking about my feelings or being vulnerable. And mm you know, sitting there and crying may have not been serving me in the way that I wanted it to, but I started investing into a coach and I realized this is not necessarily fixing me, but it's challenging me to level up in life.
1: Yeah. Yeah. One of the biggest things that I had to learn because as a, as a design leader, I was a problem solver. I was responsible, me and my team were responsible for coming up with the solution, coming up with the vision, coming up for the North Star direction of where these products were going next. And what I had to learn as a coach that is that I'm not a problem solver. I'm a person who holds space, a person who provides tools and techniques and experiments for for people to try, because it's on them. It's on them to want to change. It's on them to You know, take the conversations and insights that come out of our session and move forward with running these experiments in their life to see what will happen, to see what will be different. Um, And what I can help really help them with is is the container. I can help them come up with the vision of the life they want to create. I can help them become very intentional about, all right, what's this next period? What's this next year of your life going to look like? You know, I do, um, I don't do New Year's resolutions because I think there's something very, hustle culture about it, especially when, you know, you fail at them halfway through January.
0: Happen just once a year.
1: Exactly. What I love doing is using the calendar year to create an intention. And one of my, my intention were for 2021 was white space. And it was a really lovely to have this theme similar to how people might use values is really lovely to have this theme to be like, all right, the book is make space to lead. I am working on slowing down and working on becoming more intentional and having that theme for the year was really beautiful. Um, and I, I was leading a group at the time through coming up with their own intention words for the year. And it was beautiful just to see the progress um, of people through the year.
0: Wonderful. Wonderful. So before we wrap this up, I've got two more questions. The first one I ask everybody, because this used to be a budgeting podcast. I used to be very passionate about budgeting, but then it's kind of evolved into more of a live in your dream life podcast. Mm -hmm. So what is the one thing that you do not go cheap on? And the second question is let everyone know where we can find you on social media and how we can work with you. Yeah.
1: um, It's experiences for me. You know, pre-pandemic, it would be travel. It would be yes. bringing me and my children to these places, and it wasn't about staying at the fanciest hotels because we would often stay in Airbnbs or even hostels where we could meet with other people. Like it's it's the travel above above all else. And now that we're much more homebound, it's the same theme of experiences. I'm a, I'm a surfer. I spend I spend my money on surf equipment. I I bought. Uh, I bought myself a GoPro yesterday as some of the Cyber Monday sales. So it's it's the experiences.
0: Yes, and you just reminded me of bucket list item. I learned how to ski last year. Maybe I'll learn how to surf this year.
1: Come I'm out to San Francisco, I'll take you out to the water.
0: Yes, yes I would love that.
1: And then um, as for where to find me, uh, I'm at com. It's T-U-T-T-I-T-A-Y-G-E-R-L-Y. And at Tootie on Instagram. So easy enough
0: to find me. Yes. And I will include that in the show notes and also promote this on Instagram as well. is great. know you. Yes. Well, Tootie, you had a beautiful message. Thank you so much for taking time to speak with us today. And I know you're going to inspire many to invest in themselves and make space for them to lead.
1: Mm, that's beautiful. I had so much fun. Thank you for having me on the show, Ella. Yes, my
0: pleasure. Hi, it's Ella, the host of For Better Self and Net Worth podcast. I wanted to first of all, thank you for listening and supporting an independent podcast. I'm an aspiring motivational speaker and marketer who wanted to give a platform to other risk takers, empire builders, and out of the box lifers in the world. By listening, you are showing support for everyday folks like you and myself pursuing the lives they've always wanted by ditching societal norms and dedicating time to others. To show more support, feel free to leave a review on iTunes and subscribe on Spotify. You can also find the show on iHeartRadio, Amazon podcast, and many other independent platforms. Thank you again, for listening, and I hope you are feeling inspired.